is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. With the holidays upon us and all the many expectations that come with them, many people can feel overwhelmed at this time of the year. Paul Jarzembowski offers inspiration and some practical advice for celebrating the holidays in a meaningful, hope-filled way. Paul is the author of a newly released book from Paulist Press, Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. Paul serves as Associate Director for Laity with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and is a parishioner of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Crofton. Here's our interview with Paul Jarzembowski. Paul, the subtitle of your book is Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year, and it's not something I've reflected a lot on, but this time of the year does come with a lot of darkness. Obviously, the days are shorter, so we all experience that that physical darkness, but even metaphorically in the holidays at this time of the year, we have that awareness of the passage of time and the coming of death. And we see that in the secular holidays like Halloween or even Veterans Day, but it's also reflected in the liturgical calendar with All Souls Day and All Saints Day and even the readings of the church. In a way, it's almost like we need to experience a bit of that of that kind of darkness to experience the light. And, and this all leads to what you call wintering. Could you explain what wintering is and how we all experience that at some point in our life? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, wintering to me is this time where uh, we look a little more, we're more intro, introverted, or I should say we where there's an introversion of how we look at, at faith, how we look at life. Um, we're, you know, there's there's a more of a consciousness that we are, uh, you know, that, that there's a sense of of loss of the light, but also um, there's a heaviness that sometimes comes with a lot of the pressures and anxieties. Um, you know, there's the there's seasonal seasonal depression that certainly comes part of this, but uh, as we reflect, especially on our mortality. Uh, you know, this is uh, as as November moves into December. Uh, you know, the, the the holidays and the and the moments of commemoration of the dead, um, and uh, you know, the readings that kind of speak of the end times. So that that wintering really kind of a lot uh, is a time that we uh, often kind of look within uh, at kind of assessing where we've been through the past year, assessing our mortality. Uh, ex- kind of understanding our frailties um, and things like that. So it, it does happen throughout our lives. And I think in the winter season, when things get darker, that wintering process becomes even more amplified. And there's things that people are going through that others might not know about as well, the sense of loss or, or longing for yeah. things that can't be attained. Could you, could you talk about that? Yeah, the holidays, in some respects, raise up the memories of those who we have lost um you know whether it is at a 
intentional commemoration like All Souls or or Veterans Day or um, or if it's just memories of Thanksgivings and Christmases and New Years that we had spent with uh, with family with friends that have passed. And so sometimes around the holidays, the, the grief and the nostalgia can be almost crippling for some people um, because it there, there's a reminder that the joy of the past, um, it, it, there's, a, there's a curiosity whether or not it can happen again. And so there's a, there's a darkness that also is in that grief. And many of these uh, situations that people go through are often hidden. We don't, they're not people don't see them on the outside nearly as much, but it's the thing that we do in, in the silence of our hearts where we may be grieving, we may be experiencing, um, you know, some mental health issues that are not necessarily visible to others. And so that the holidays sometimes uh, conjure that conjures that up a little bit and adds a little bit to the, to that darkness. Mm -hmm. And I guess I should also say, I'm um, not really saying that I, it, you know, you you definitely have to experience the darkness to experience the light, but more often than not, the darkness is very just part of life. And I think it's just admitting and uh, accepting the fact that that uh, we have a the, our life is full of both desolations and consolations. One of the interesting things that you pointed out in your book is that across cultures around the world, there are more festivals at harvest time than they are at springtime which points to some kind of need to band together to get through the darkness as the sunlight phase. Could, could you talk about that? I found it very fascinating. When you look at the number of, like even in ancient cultures, the number of solstice festivals focused around the, the, the dark season. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's usually in November, December. In the Southern Hemisphere, it's usually around May or June. Um, but it, it's, it's fascinating that, that as you look at historians, look at where the biggest festivals are, they're usually Northern hemisphere or Southern hemisphere, always connected around the winter solstice. Uh, now we in the North know it around the, the December timeframe, but I kind of like to think that humanity is, is, uh, since it's dawn has been yearning to fight against the darkness, um, physical darkness, interior darkness spiritual darkness and uh it that that the the notion of coming together to to kind of combat that um and that the light ultimately comes from community it comes from this communion that we have um at, when when the christian community came along it, we understood it as jesus christ uh and and that we really understood that that is the, the ultimate light and and that the community formed around jesus christ can and break the darkness greater than anything. And so it was a very, that, that to me is just very fascinating and it fits the pattern that humanity has been doing since the dawn of time in both the Northern and Southern hemispheres. Um, we're a little bit luckier in the North, uh, that, that our, that Christmas lines up with our winter solstice <laughs> in our, in our darkest time. Um, but, uh, but still there is that, that, that just that idea that we as a, as a human species uh, are constantly looking to fight against the darkness. When you talk about hope, what is hope? I mean, from a secular point of view, it's almost like this magical yearning for something to, to make something happen or, or wishing, but there's also a the theological definition of hope. But what, what is hope? So the, for Christians, for us, 
you know, we are, I mean, we have a, a faith that's grounded in hope. I mean, without the resurrection, we wouldn't be Christians. You know, the, the, the ultimate hope that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that, that there was death and then there was resurrection. So for, so the ultimate definition of hope is, is Christ. And, and that example that we see that, that we can see in our own lives that every, every cross is just a, a, an avenue to a resurrection and that for so hope uh, as i see it and i think as the church understands it is that there it, that god always has something greater on the horizon for us no matter our darkest days there is always something greater and we you know if you life is full of desolations and consolations moments where there is no hope and then consolations result from that and the ultimate consolation that we will have in our life is the is a union with god and so as i like to think there's always an upswing that's waiting for us um no matter how down the downswing is god always promises an upswing including the last upswing we will ever experience which is life with the lord in heaven so um so hope is always possible and i think part of the reason i really wanted to raise it up is because at this dark time of year, you know, uh, we can feel very hopeless. Even those of us who are active in our faith can feel hopeless. And so I wanted to write this as a reminder that um, that this is the season where we, we can find it, but not to find it in some shallow, hollow, inauthentic way, but really kind of going back to that reason for the season, if I can use a phrase, uh, that the ultimate hope is is in Christ, and that there's always something greater just around the corner. I think there's even a lack of hope in the wider culture. If you just look at the state of the tensions in our country, in our church across the board, there's there's this sense of a lack of hope. I think. Yeah, it people can feel defeated and defeatist, and you know, nihilistic and. Uh, feeling like this is the, there's a lot of catastrophizing. This is the worst ever. Uh, and it can really calcify ourselves. Um, we think we kind of become suspicious of one another because we don't hope that we don't have hope in each other in the Christ that lives within each other. So we, we grow suspicious of each other. So, um, and I'm not to say that we have to be Pollyanna about everything, but certainly the opposite extreme is which is where we often are in our wider culture. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of evidence pointing to, yeah, be hopeless. There's wars, there's polarization, there's the economy, the, the poverty, uh, name the issue. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence to point that direction. But we as people of faith know that the evidence on the other side that God delivers, and he's had a history of delivering for us from the, from the, from the dawn of creation, God has always delivered. So we have to kind of reconnect with that hope that uh that god has for us and, and not be succumb to you know the, the the defeatism that i think is very prevalent in our culture today mm -hmm. you structure your book around a lot of the themes from a christmas carol by charles dickens and it's obvious that you have a great love for that work uh, where, <laughs> where, when were you first exposed to that book and why did you choose to structure your book around those kinds of themes 
I'll be honest, in the first exposure I had to the story was really through the movies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, growing up, you know, whether it's Mickey's Christmas Carol or uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol, um, or, you know, as I grew into other versions that I would see through the years. So the movies really uh, and the television adaptations really brought me into the story. And I just, it's always been a favorite uh, annual tradition to pull that out. Um, it's only recently that I really discovered the book and, and, and the book is even more in depth than this, those, those televised or adaptations. So, um, so yeah, I, I found that to be something that I gravitated towards and it, it gives me hope each year because, um, how often I find myself in Scrooge's place at the beginning, the beginning Scrooge. And, uh, and so that story is one of one of a, of a hopeless individual and people seeing a lot of hopelessness in him moving toward uh, a person of great hope and that people can find hope in his actions by the end. So it's a great story that I found as I was reflecting on this theme. Uh, it, it seemed to me to be the perfect uh, complimentary piece to to use as a, and it's also a great entry point for people who may not be, and I wrote this not only for people of, of faith, but people who don't have as much faith. And I knew that that would be an easy entry point for some people to kind of get behind uh, some of these themes that might make it more palatable for for those who may be on the margins or on the peripheries of our communities. One of the great things you did in this book is raise the question of what if our own Jacob Marley would come back to us and review our lives to this point? Uh, what, what will we see? And it's, it's almost like an examination of conscience. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, you'll also find in there the nation examine Desolation and consolation. My my Jesuit roots uh, are certainly on display as I as I wrote this book. So, uh, so a very you know uh, my my Jesuit educators would be proud to know that uh, I'm I'm sharing some of the traditions that that Saint Ignatius has for our church. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll dig into some of the practical things that Paul raises for ways that we can cultivate a sense of hope in our lives. Our guest today is Paul Jarzembowski. He is the author of a new book called Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. And he's also a parishioner of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Crofton. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbell.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Paul Jarzembowski. He is the author of a new book called Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. Paul, what are some of the ways that people can actually go about cultivating a sense of hope in their lives? 
I would say the first step um, is the first step that um, uh, in in my telling of the story that's kind of grounded in a Christmas Carol. Um, I kind of think of Scrooge kind of caught up in his in his very uh, alone in his chamber, locked in as Jacob Marley visits him, and it was only in the silence that that he was able to move forward in the journey. And I often say that that for us is a great first step. Um, it, so a very practical thing is finding moments for silence in our day, uh, that practicing silence, um, the holiday season is a very noisy season at times. And, you know, <laughs> we've got everything coming at us. We've got songs, we've got movies, we've got merriment, we've got all kinds of things. And they're wonderful. And even in church, we have, so we have an Advent this and Advent that, and, and we've got this celebration and that. And there can be a lot of noise in our, even in our personal lives, not to mention our work lives, um, our studies, um, our personal family lives, a lot of noise. So the first practical thing to kind of move into any of these steps is just really to, to, to carve out moments of silence. And when someone says, well, I don't have time for silence, uh, my argument would be that God graces us. We, we, can, we, we admit to ourselves, God graces us with these moments that we could use, such as the drive into the office, for instance. If, you're, if you've got a commute of five minutes or, or 50 minutes uh, or, or whatever length it is, that to use that time and to turn off the radio, uh, to turn to turn turn down the noise, even in our own heads, and just to use that, for instance, on a on a daily basis, for moments of silence. And there could be other times throughout the uh, throughout the holiday seasons that we can do this as well. Uh, finding a sacred space to do that is is very helpful. But even if that doesn't isn't possible, throughout our day, finding time for silence that's just the first step. There's many other steps, but I think the first step is silence. Mm. I know during Lent, a lot of people do social media fast. And, mm -hmm. and if you think about it, I know how much time I spend just scrolling, looking at news stories and stuff. If, if you take away that time, you've got an hour or two where <laughs> you could <laughs> devote to reflection and silence. Right. And it doesn't have to be uh, a planned thing. And it doesn't have to be even long. If, if, if five minutes of silence is what you can start with, five minutes is fine. But kind of creating a new discipline for ourselves in the holiday season, that could be a very practical way. And in that silence, God will start speaking to us. Uh, and that's where we can start finding that hope. But sometimes it has to start, start by us stopping. Hmm. You talk about the power of nostalgia in your book mm -hmm. as also a way of not only cultivating hope, but looking back on the past. Uh, what are some of the ways people can do that practically yeah the holidays especially around christmas you know because of those memories that sometimes can cause some bittersweetness um remembrances of people who have passed i found that again using silence perhaps as a launch board um taking out of old photo albums or if you are on social media scrolling back farther and farther and farther into the past of your social media account and reflecting on those moments in the past and reflecting on them in a sense of gratitude and in that perhaps even finding some some roots some cultural roots that maybe are part of our story that we may have not done in a while we may have forgotten or maybe we didn't learn as much such as a favorite food or a favorite tradition whether it's a a domestic tradition in our homes uh, or whether it's a it's a religious tradition 
um, but something that's maybe connected to our ethnic or racial culture, um, kind of rediscovering that and maybe using this holiday season as an opportunity to, to resurrect it and to, to find a new place for it in our lives. Um, it, it connects us back to our ancestors in faith, um, whether that ancestor is our grandparents, our, our, our culture from, from Europe or from Africa or from Asia, wherever we're from, uh, or perhaps it, it comes from just something that is special to us in, in who we are in our lives. Uh, maybe something that we connect with our friends or, or loved ones, uh, maybe as recently as a few years ago. So I think finding time to do that, and, and in that, we find again a sense of hope because again, when we see, when we look at our past, we see God's handiwork in our past and we see that our lives in the past uh, have been also occasions where hope has been fulfilled. Whether it was as simple as um, maybe uh, a project that we got finished and we accomplished because we didn't know if it ever would accomplish, or maybe it was a major hope in our lives, such as, you know, we fell in love and we hoped that that would end in marriage and it did. We longed for a family and God provided. We looked for a job or a career or a direction in our life and there God was giving that to us. There was a healing that needed to happen and it did. So we, when, we, when we look back at our nostalgia, we also look back at those moments when God graced us with hope in the past. And it gives us the confidence to know that looking forward, whatever catastrophe, whatever issue that we're going through at this moment, that God has a great track record and we know it in our lives and we have more of a confidence that we can put our hope in God this time. I know that's a little bit of a of a of a technique for a doubting Thomas, perhaps, that needs to see the hope in the past to understand that hope is possible in the future. But that's what sometimes looking to our past does for us, is it remind us that God has been gracing to us all throughout our lives and all throughout our family story. Yeah, I think it's so important to hold on to those ethnic traditions, even if you don't regularly practice them to rediscover them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our family, on the Czech, my father's side is Czech. So every Christmas and Easter, we always make kolachki, or I, I make kolachki, which is a Czech cookie, and then uh, a Czech pastry. And then we also, on the Polish side of the family, we make make the pierogi. We do the aplatki, and then we do the chalk blessing on on uh, three King, three kings day <laughs> epiphany. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So those are and with a name like Jarzembowski, I know you you also have some of those traditions in your family. Absolutely. It was great. I I was even recalling, I call in the book, the, the tradition that my grandparents would have an upside down Christmas tree hanging in the basement on Christmas day. And I didn't, I, I just thought they were weird. But then the more I, again, when I did my own exploration of my story, I discovered there's a history to that. And that, that upside down Christmas tree has roots in Poland. And that's what my grandparents were doing. They weren't just being strange people who didn't know how to hang, how to put up a Christmas tree. But that, that, is a, that was a tradition that, that went back centuries. And, uh, and it was great to relearn. And then by me relearning, it was a chance for me to feel in a sense of solidarity, like I was walking through those holiday memories with my grandparents uh, as, you know, as fellow travelers. And it, and they've passed on since, but it gave me a, a renewed sense of love and, and purpose and, and connection to my roots. We have about a minute left. Uh, you talk a lot about movies, Christmas movies in this book. Is there one single favorite of yours that kind of kind of inspires hope? Um, for me, uh, White Christmas, um, and I, you know, it's it's a, uh, and I guess for me, the hope that it kind of comes in is that, uh, you know, the the story. I don't want to give away too much for spoilers for those who haven't seen this this 
60 some year old movie <laughs> um but it's a um it's a story where the memories of our of those who inspire us are mentor figures that we can then honor our mentors uh and we have the ability to do that and um and so for me that i keep thinking to myself all the people in my life who have been my teachers and who have kind of guided and directed me kind of like the general directed bing crosby or whatever their names are in the movie um but it it causes me to go back to those kinds of experiences and uh, and again that gives me gives me some hope that it's possible and who can i then mentor for the next generation great well our guest today has been paul jarzembowski he is the author of hope for the holidays finding light at the darkest time of the year and he's also a prisoner of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Crofton. And you will be giving a special presentation at your home parish. Uh, could you tell us about that? That's going to be on St. Nicholas Day, uh, December 6th. Yeah, on St. Nick's Day, uh, December 6th in the evening, 7 p.m. at St. Elizabeth Seton in Crofton. Um, I'll be kind of unpacking, doing a little bit of this, but in a more uh, reflective way uh, so that people can can take the moment to reflect on their uh, on their hopes and hopefully find re kind of renew their hope as they kind of get ready towards for Advent and Christmas. And people could get your book there and, and where else could they get your book? They can get my book there. They can get it online at paulistpress.com, their favorite online bookseller. Um, even the Barnes and Noble in Annapolis will be, uh, <laughs> will be uh, stocking it this year. Great. Well, Paul, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matasek. Thanks for listening. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week, available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM, also WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area, and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.